Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, as always, to another episode of the Roman's Empire podcast. Now, normally, after suffering a defeat like we did to Liverpool, we would all be in a pretty sour and sad mood. And I think that's uh, the basic feeling of most Chelsea fans. But there is a bright side, guys, and it's not the fact that Sam decided to finally join us again. Who? Uh, oh, I, I believe his name was Sam. I could be wrong. Yeah, I know. He it's hasn't been, been so here long. For a while, yeah, so. I totally forgot about him. That's so, good point. anyway, Sam, welcome back, as always. And then Andres is here. Uh, Andres, how you doing? Doing all right. I think some people call Sam the Lucas Piazon of this podcast. <laughs> he's just he's just in and out of the training squad. If that, people <laughs> just forget he exists for a bit, and then he decides to make a random appearance here and there. I'll take that. I'll take that as a compliment. I mean, Piazon is, it, is, is did, a nice player. Didn't Piazon get a loan move to Reading at one point? Uh, yeah. And Sam's been doing a lot of reading in law school. Mm. Awful, I, no, awful the, connection. I, no, I actually thought that was really good, Zach. Yeah, I thought it was kind of clever. I, I, I just really like that. No, I'm, I'll, I'll give you props. That was, weird. That was good. Yeah. I mean, if you, you guys t- are – Go ahead. So, sorry to cut you off. I mean, but, but just like really quick, I just want to mention this. So for like the listeners that are wondering why the fuck are these guys in such a good mood – it's because the beautiful game has returned, and I'm not talking about soccer. I'm talking about Game of Thrones. How do oh. you guys feel? How How do you guys feel about the first episode? Are we all caught up? Yeah. I yeah. Are you kidding? That was the only reason why I didn't go to sleep crying. <laughs> <laughs> and and Tiger's back. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, that, Tiger, that was a huge Tiger huge is day. back. Zach, yeah. I mean. You the way that you and your family they do Game of Thrones watchings like you guys take it on another level like you want to like break it down for the <laughs> listeners what you guys do because it's yeah, pretty insane. Yeah, so, so so yesterday actually um, we had a viewing party. We we started these viewing parties like three years ago, and yesterday we had record attendance. We had thirty six <laughs> people in attendance. Dude, thirty six people in a room. <laughs> it was it was pretty awesome. So basically, we cleared out his garage. And we, and we put, like, their giant 70-something-inch TV in their garage. We put out, like, a bunch of folding chairs and plastic chairs. We actually uh, – we, we rented out a taco truck also, a bunch of craft beer. It was, it was just a good day. Dude, and, that's, and, like, and, how you do it. That, that's, that's the right way to watch Game of Thrones. But... You kind of you, you kinda have to because, like, I, I realize when I watch that show on my own, I become, like, severely depressed. Like, my, <laughs> my emotions just get the best of me. But when I watch it in a group, it, it just kind of helps me feel grounded and – they constantly remind you. It's kind of like a support group, you right? know. So I, like after after watching the first half of the of the Chelsea Prague game, I think that it wouldn't matter whether I was watching with someone or watching it by myself. <laughs> I w- I would be depressed either way. So <laughs> God, that's dude, that's that my transition. God awful. That's 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 our that's my transition into this Prague match, uh, because I I, I want to that, that that's that's the first point that the first half was. Just as poor as we've seen all season from a footballing viewpoint, nothing really. We have to talk about it. Yeah, not, no, there's really nothing really to say besides that. But before we talk about the second half, let me go through the starting lineup. Uh, so we got Kepa in goal, Alonso, Christensen, Rudiger, and Dave in the back line. Jorginho, Kovacic, and Barkley in the midfield. Then Willian, Pedro, and Giroud manning the front three. So we've said all we needed to say about the first half. It was depressing. Um, second half, Hazard subbed in in the 59th minute, our Lord and Savior, um, followed shortly by RLC and Conte. So finally, our you know our big gunners out there. 
Um, once those three were subbed in, we finally got a grip on the game. I mean, the, for the last 30 to 25 minutes, finally figured out <laughs> how to play soccer again. Zach, I, wa- I want to know, what was the team doing or rather not doing when they weren't on the pitch? When, I mean, when those three weren't on the pitch. When when they weren't on the pitch, I mean, we were basically useless, not just in the final third, but I think in 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 every third of the pitch, right? So like the defensive third, the middle third, and the final third. We were just god-awful. There was nobody running beyond Giroud besides Willian. And whenever Willian would get in, he'd have absolutely no support. I found myself constantly uh, asking the question, where is Pedro throughout the match? Because these are these are the types of matches where you would think he'd come in handy with all of his European experience, regardless of his age or not. Because like we we see him put in shifts every now and then. We see him put in like a like a decent performances, um, not as consistent as he used to be. But against a side like Prague, someone that's won everything at the club level, you just kind of expect them to step it up. But oh, good God, I, where do you even begin? You know, the, we just had no threat. There was no width. Um, the balance of the midfield was terrible. And I think it, I, I, I just think that this match epitomized um, the lack of squad depth that we have and a lack of personnel that we have in terms of sorry ball. It's, it, it's pretty simple that our second team just cannot play sorry ball for the life of them. Yeah, it, you, you hit the nail right on the head. For me, it was just disappointing to see these guys that have lost their starting spot in the first team not perform or at least not try to win it back. Just Alonzo, Willian, Pedro, you know, these guys were the outright starters at some point in this campaign. And now they're just kind of like done. Pedro hasn't played a good game in like six, seven games. Willian, you never know. And yes, Alonzo did get the winner. He did, but like salvaging his name it, for yet another twenty four hours until he realized. My God, yeah, that's that's the only reason why his like rating on any website like who scored is any decent because outside yeah. of that, his game was god awful. Great header though. Yeah, no, it's good, great cross from William and a great finish. Mm-hmm. I'll give them both that. But they decided to do it at the very end after we've already kind of just lost all hope that this team can even play 90 minutes of football. So I mean, why, it's a why couldn't that have happened in the first 15 and then everyone's on a high and we take Prague apart? I mean, it's, it's just a miracle that we were able to finish something. I mean, the season we've been so unlucky and just unclinical, creating chances and not being able to finish – that I'll just take anything, you know. If it's if it's Marcos Alonso in the 85th minute with his head, I'll take it, you know. <laughs> but yeah. Andreas, you know, obviously this no one here really on this pod had really a idea of how Slavia Prague was gonna play. Now that we've seen them uh, for one match, what what do we make as uh, what do we make of Prague as a team, Andreas? What do you think? Uh, for me, they know that they're the underdog. And the thing when you're in an elimination tournament like the Europa League, like the Champions League, hope and morale are huge motivators to a team. And at their current position, they're only down one goal to Chelsea. So for me, Prague is coming in very, still very confident that they can get a result. And that's what's scary to me leading into the second leg. 
For example, back in 2012, Chelsea wasn't the strongest team in the use in, in the Champions League, but they ended up winning the whole thing. Like nobody, mm-hmm. nobody had us beating Barcelona. Nobody had us beating Bayern in their backyard. But all we had to do was get just one goal because we knew that we could work our asses off to get the result after the 90 minutes and survive. And I think that's what Prague is showing us that if they they get that sense that they can go toe-to-toe with us in the in this match on Thursday, they're going to be a very dangerous team. And I'm really afraid that if we don't score early, it's going to be another stressful Thursday for us. These these teams are always uh, p- potential banana peels, aren't they? Like, Especially in these competitions where, as Chelsea fans, like we should know better than anybody that underdogs could actually pull off major upsets in this tournament like anything is up for grabs and i just don't think they're gonna roll over easily i thought they played us really well on the day like in the way their manager set them up and basically stifled our attack they didn't allow us to get into a rhythm all match long and we could we could go on and on about how poor our performance was and how unequipped these players are to play the system but let's be honest with ourselves our players are two three classes above their squad players and they managed to stop us from playing regardless of the uh, regardless of whether or not you know our squad is necessarily equipped for sorry ball we should still be dominating a match like that case in point and the fact that they showed up they rolled up their sleeves and they grinded it out and almost got the result that they wanted should tell you everything you need to know about coming into the next leg because they're going to feel confident they're going to think to themselves you know, they got a late goal. That's the only way they could have beaten us. So now they're going to go back to the bridge. They're going to grab the opportunity by the scruff of the neck. I mean, just think about it. If you're a player on that team, that's the, that's probably one of the only times in your career that you're going to travel to London to a stadium like Sanford Bridge in a European competition with a legitimate opportunity to knock them out. There's only one goal difference between us. If Slavia Prague gets one away goal, the tie is completely back on. And who knows what could happen from there. So I think we're actually... I, I, I'm not going to say I'm not confident about this match because I do think that we're going to we're going to tear right through them. But There's we a small have... margin for error. Exactly, and 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 that's the point I was going to get to was if the squad shows up and they're not absolutely a hundred percent from the get go, things could get very very ugly, and we might be up against it. I I think we're in for a dogfight on Thursday. I don't think it's going to be a walk in the park by any stretch. No, no, definitely not. Um, I mean. For me, like I, I wouldn't say I'm I'm not feeling confident going into it because we clearly are the better side. And it's kind of funny, Andreas, how you compare uh, the difference between our team and Slavia Prague this season to like the difference of Barcelona and Chelsea back when we won Champions League. I mean, I wanna I wanna say that we <laughs> are a little bit better, like as far as that uh, difference, like right now. They, but they I don't mean, have Ramirez, also. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's true, that's true. So I mean, but w- w- another to- one other talking point I want to get to about this game. Uh, I want to talk about Kepa. He made three key saves to keep his clean sheet, and there was a lot of debate online on about. Kepa's ability to command the box, uh, Zach. What what do you think? Do you agree with what everyone's saying, and or, or or not? And why do you think that is? I mean, there's a lot of people that jumped on him and said like, I can't believe we overspent on this goalkeeper. And I even saw one tweet that said like Chelsea overpaid for 40 million. 
how do you know what the fuck the market price is? But it's a like, lot of money. <laughs> it, it is a lot of money. I mean, he goes, he's going for seventy million. But like, I mean, you could tell after the first ten or fifteen matches in a Chelsea shirt that like, okay, if things go as planned, this guy will prove to be worth every single penny. I, I, I think Kepa's very similar to Courtois in the sense that he does struggle to deal with crosses consistently, right? Like at times you see him kind of hesitate or he takes a step forward like he's going to go up and attack the ball, but then he drops back and, and, and retreats back into his position. And that kind of results in like a few of those nervy moments. Now, the one saving grace he did have in this game, because there were a couple crosses that he just completely flapped and, and he didn't get his fist on it properly. And, you know, the ball bounced around in the box, but he has such great reflexes to the point where he could afford to make those mistakes and then pull off a world-class like reflex point blank save right after it. And the three key saves you're talking about, I think that I actually think one of them is in my head. It was in the second half ball came in from the right-hand side and Kepa went to parry it out and parried it directly to one of their players right in yeah. front of goal. And he hit it on a half volley and Kepa just kept such a strong arm to, 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 to keep it out of the back of the net. I think that's his only pitfall as a goalkeeper. But I think in terms of everything else, he has the tools to be a world-class keeper. He's great with his feet. And I know that, you know, you got guys like Allison and guys like Ederson. Uh, I guess Manuel Neuer was kind of like the one that started like the whole sweeper-keeper thing. But there's very few keepers in the world that are go both good with their feet and their hands at the same time. You what know about, what I mean? Yeah. What about, what, about, what about you, Andreas? You think Kepa has a world-class potential, like Zach says? Yeah, for sure. I, I think he's still very young for the typical age where a goalkeeper reaches his prime. So mm -hmm. I obviously think he can get better. You mentioned his issues with with commanding the box. And I don't know at this point if it's a, a keeper issue or if it's just our back line. Because honestly, it's becoming a habit that we're getting scored on with those second chance like crosses to the back post. So that's my biggest gripe in his game right now. And, and even that, I'm not sure it's his entire fault. Um, because of the way Chelsea plays, he doesn't have to face too many shots compared to De Gea, who takes like 10, like, you know, he, he probably saves or sees eight to 10 shots a game. So for me, as long as he's doing kind of what Oblock and Neuer have to do, which is like Zach mentioned, they see maybe two or three shots come their way a game. As long as he's stopping those, we're good to go. So he, he's safe in possession. You know, I don't have any any issues with that. He he moves the ball pretty quickly. He doesn't uh, he doesn't really give me those nervy moments that check and even Courtois would give me when the ball would be passed back to them that they would hesitate, take too many touches, and then the forward would or get just, just too it. close. Yeah. Right. So. For me, it's that, you know, because we keep 70% possession, it's what he does that those – is he awake and ready for those two and three shots that he may see in the 90 minutes? And and that's the one thing that I think will make him get to that next level is when he can start racking up those clean sheets consistently. And, again, that does come down to what the back line lets through because if he's facing one-on-ones three times a game, the odds aren't that great regardless of who's in goal i i do want to mention something though and i don't think this is a, a thing that people talk about too much one of my biggest criticisms of courtois when he was at chelsea besides the fact that he's just a fuck face is 
he he was never he never possessed that leadership quality that goalkeeper should have right he never organized his back line he wouldn't didn't really seem like the type that would bark at his defenders whenever they'd miss a marker um and Keppa seems like he has that. He has that like little bit of competitive fire. Like he's not afraid to shout at one of his veteran defenders. He's like, not afraid to shout back at his coach either. <laughs> well, yeah, I, mean, I guess that is true. But that and We've see, that. that's another thing as well. That that's like a very good uh, gauge of his actual ability. So I mean, we all saw what happened at the Carabao Cup final. That was just embarrassing. I think we all agreed on that. You know, I think I, I think Keppa was in the wrong there, but. Most goalkeepers would usually pull off something like that, and when they get reintroduced to the squad, they would lose that little bit of confidence, or they try to overplay or overcompensate with their play. And I thought when Kepa came back, he actually looked better. He looked more assured of himself. And in the first game he came back, who did we play after Man City in the Carabao Cup final? Because I remember that first game he came back, we came on the podcast and we were talking about how well he rebounded from that whole conundrum and he actually put in a man of the match performance that day. I can't remember off the top off the top it, of my it head was, who it, it was. It was two but... games after because he had Oh yeah yeah yeah. He'd been suspended yeah, yeah. for a game. He he benched he benched him or, uh, for yeah. Caballero. Yeah yeah yeah. But like again, I mean just going back to like the whole comparing him and Courtois thing, like he is much more of a leader than Courtois. We always talk about like this this potential captaincy uh you know potential captaincy vacancy i guess you know um, captaincy that's a new word i mean it's, yeah it's, it makes <laughs> yeah, sense yeah. a captain vacancy. i guess that's a word yeah word. so uh, you know we, we talk about that because david luis hasn't renewed his contract i think keppa might be an undercover shout i'm not saying he'll be our next captain but i am saying that he has that leadership quality to eventually be a polarizing figure in the dressing room if he keeps going on a trajectory that he's going on right now where where do you where do you like where do you see that we have a captain vacancy happening like you don't think Donald that Luis has a renewed his contract I and i think that's a huge problem because right now if what about Cahill's Dave? not Dave, yeah but we talk about Dave's ability to captain aside, right? Like Dave is a incredible veteran. I love him to death. I still think we could get many more years out of him. But in terms of being an actual captain, how many times have we criticized him this season for not stepping forward? Look at the Keppa situation. We just talked about it. When we talked about the Keppa situation at, at, after the Carabao Cup final, that very next pod, I think it was Andres that mentioned why was David Luiz the one communicating with Keppa, yeah. and why wasn't why didn't Dave walk over there, grab Keppa by his shirt sleeve, and fucking tug him to the sideline <laughs> to get him off the field? No kidding. And on top of that, Dave speaks Spanish. I Keppa was about to say that too. Spanish keeper. Yeah, he if, can curse if there's him. any miscommunication. You are the one person that can fix that situation. Mm. Aren't they and, both? And, aren't they both Basque also? Yeah, they are. <laughs> yeah. And, and to to add to this to this captaincy debate, which totally out of nowhere, you guys caught me a little off guard. We <laughs> one of the our biggest issues right now is once we get kind of punched in the mouth in a game, we don't react. And as like Zach said, as great as of a warrior and and a vet. Aspiaqueta has been for Chelsea. He has not instilled any confidence or any fight in these guys when we go down a goal, and that's one of the biggest things that we've been missing in this team for multiple managers now because it, it happened under Conte too. So, yeah, I I agree that sooner sooner rather than later somebody else is going to have to step up 
And and I don't know if it's going to be Keppa. Uh, another shout that we mentioned before was Rudiger. He loves to scream and yeah. really get into his emotions. I, would, I wouldn't mind that at all. If, yeah. if, if I were if I were to make a bet, I would I would bet on Rudiger. That would be if my I, pick. If, if I was the manager, I would give it to Rudiger. Just mm-hmm. just based on the way he reacts to like different in-game scenarios, he he gets legitimately pissed off at situations. And if you want to look at Rudiger's leadership qualities, just look at last match. The first time he went down, he hurt his knee. He went down. Medical staff came out, gave him treatment, and he tried to play on it. And that just tells you everything you need to know. How many players do you know would go down with a knee injury and just be like, that's it, I'm done? Mm-hmm. Right. But Rudiger wanted to keep playing on it, and while he was playing on it, we were all looking at him, at least I was, and thinking like, oh shit, he's moving really gingerly, this doesn't Mm -hmm. look good. And in my head, I'm like, Rudy, go down, go down, go down. And it took him 10 minutes of testing out that knee before he wound up going down again. Tells you everything you need to know. All right, any, any final thoughts about this match? Not really. Second leg Thursday, hoping for a better turnout. Zach? Yeah. Yeah. Um... All right, so, I mean, you alluded to it. Let's talk about this Liverpool match. Uh, really, I feel like the reason why I'm not too bummed about this is because this is the the result that I expected. The um, schedule loss, as yeah, we say in the U.S. Schedule loss, yeah. I mean, also yeah. the fact that we were paired up against uh, one of the best teams in the league. That's also a, a reason for it. But uh, yeah. anyway, uh, final score, Chelsea nil liverpool two starting lineup of keppa emerson david luis rudiger and dave in the back line Jorginho, conte and rlc in the middle and uh on the front three we had cho willian and uh hazard as the false nine wow so i mean we we're begging we're begging this guy sorry to play cho play him play him finally he starts him his second his second league start is against liverpool like that's pretty much setting him up for failure you know and really he was a no-show this match but mm. i mean he's a young guy with no experience uh very little experience at least he but, gets a pass yeah that's that's what i'm saying i'm just like why, why is it now it like you know like the frustration that came from all of us with not playing him soon enough like this is why you know this is the this is his second opportunity to start, and they're playing against Liverpool, where he's getting shut down. Um, he's going up against the best fullbacks in Europe, yeah. trying to yeah. So I mean, that was just setting him up for failure. But let's talk a little bit about the tactics. So it was obvious going in uh, that Chelsea were going to sit back and absorb pressure from the first minute out. Even uh, what did Sari do tactically in this game, and more specifically, what did he do in the first half, Zach? What do you what do you have to say? It was pretty obvious, uh, like you said, the second the lineup came out, we all kind of knew that the only reason why Hazard was playing at the false nine was because it made us more defensive and allowed him to bring on Willian, who does have work rate defensively, um, especially with the attacking fullbacks Liverpool have. But I thought it was interesting that we set up a low defensive block. So basically we had a line of four on our back line. And a line of five right in front of them. That's you know our three midfielders and our two wingers dropping off. Create a line of five. Hazard was up top alone. And we looked to play Hazard um, through the counter. That part of the, of, of the tactical setup didn't necessarily work in terms of attacking. But defensively, I thought we were actually really good. And, and one thing I, I found interesting in this match was 
how Sari handled the wide positions, and we talked about it in our match preview, how uh, how attack-minded Liverpool's fullbacks are and how they love to push up and pin the opposition wingers back. Um, and, and that's what makes them so dangerous because Liverpool doesn't necessarily play without and out wingers. They're basically playing two forwards in wide positions, making inverted runs in Salah and, and, and Mane. So I just thought that that was very interesting how he set, uh, how Sarri set the team up. And when when Liverpool's fullbacks got the ball, we weren't necessarily pressing them um, in the wide areas. We were kind of letting them have the wide areas, um, and, and, and we weren't pressing them um, too hard per se. Like, of course, when there's a heavy touch, player steps in and blocks off passing lanes, but it wasn't necessarily a press. It was more of containing them. Um, it gave it gave us a more narrow shape obviously because our wingers are tucked in and they're not and they're not uh, pressing out wide but it also gave us no space to work up with uh, to, to work up the middle with right so like William and Cho were staying nice and compact and that's great defensively we were really solid liverpool had a few half chances i wouldn't say that they had any clear cut goal chances but the problem is when liverpool would turn the ball over and we'd win possession we were so narrow and we had no width that we weren't even able to establish a rhythm. And like there were so many times in this match where Jorginho would receive the ball in midfield and he'd immediately have two or three Liverpool players right next to him. Not necessarily by design, but just because our midfielders were playing so close to Jorginho. We weren't able to push up and out wide. And I think that was our main problem in this game was defensively I thought we did everything we needed to do. But when we were in possession, we couldn't establish a rhythm because our wingers were narrow and our midfielders were way t- too close to Jorginho. And that would result in these sideways passes or what Jorginho did um, as as the game went on, is more specifically in the second half, he kind of resorted to the long ball a little bit too much, more than we normally see. So it kind of showed that defensively the tactics were spot on. But again, in the attack, there was just nothing there. Hazard would drop off receive the ball with his back to goal, and then he'd have to spin his defender, dribble two or three players to free himself up, and then release the ball, as opposed to him playing out on the left, which a lot of people are arguing, you know, that that that, that is his best position. But out on the left, he receives the ball, and he's immediately facing the goal, and he's just able to run at defenders right from the get-go, as opposed to shaking off one or two challenges, spinning your defender, and then feeding the ball off. I mean, yeah, you 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 covered most of the defensive responsibilities to the to the team. My my biggest gripe is is just why are we the only side that just give gives up so much on on one end to to cover up our our defensive weaknesses per se. I I never think whenever Tottenham or Arsenal or or these other and even United when they're trying to get into the top four ever give up so much going forward to defend. And and I think while we did defend them and, and Liverpool did not ha- have any chance whatsoever, I really do think that we played very scared. And while, yes, we stopped them from having any chances, not once were they afraid of our, our team scoring. And I think that's an even bigger issue than just stopping them because that's just saying that we're trying to go for the nil-nil. And, and I think that's what ended up that kind of that that for for the way we play, that's not a confident way of going into halftime, which I think obviously can affect how we come out in the second half. 
So for me, yes, defensively, great. I, I get it. We, we, we stopped them. We did everything we had to. But at the same time, you mentioned that there was nothing going forward. It seemed like there was no plan for when we did have the ball. I get it that Hazard was up there and he was going to, you know, you, you give Hazard the ball and, and you can expect magic, but he couldn't even get the ball. And, and that's what really frustrated me in terms of the tactics, that it just seemed like we prepared half a game plan. Okay, but I'm, I'm just going to kind of play devil's advocate here. So on one hand, you know, you got the false nine. It's, it's, it's clear – I think we all agree on the logic of playing a false nine. It gives you more defensive stability out wide because you don't want to bother Hazard with defensive responsibility against a team like Liverpool. That's one end. Now the other end is, I mean, is it, could it be that Sari was just looking to pull off like vintage Mourinho? Like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get into the half unscathed and about an hour in, I'm going to throw on a striker and we're going to go for it. The last 20, 25 minutes, we're going to go for it. We're going to nick a goal, and then we'll sit back and you know we'll walk away with a 1-0. I think that's genuinely what Sarri was trying to do here, but his plan just completely backfired once Liverpool scored the first goal. And then like once they scored the first goal, he immediately signaled to, to Iguain to go start warming up, which is fine. I mean, you know, like you want to bring in a striker, not necessarily Iguain in that situation, but a striker nonetheless. So he is being somewhat reactionary based on the opponent we're facing and the actual game situation. If we didn't concede that first goal, I think it's pretty fair to say that the second goal probably wouldn't have happened because we looked completely shell-shocked after conceding the first one. And for like a period of, t of 15 minutes, we just looked god-awful. And, and, and we looked like a pub side. And then somehow we got our shit back together when Hazard went back out on the left. But if we didn't concede that first goal, Andres, and sorry put in you know a striker like he, he put in Iguain. let's say he puts in Iguain in the 65th or 70th minute there's a lot of logic there like we got we we got through liverpool's uh, uh, initial push right like yeah they came out swinging right but but that's it's easy to say that now because at the because we did react after we went down two nil but just because the two goals came back to back doesn't mean that they wouldn't have scored eventually either my my yeah. thing is that you were talking about Mourinho's strategy of sitting back and then hitting them. At the end of the day, Mourinho was playing a real forward. And yeah, he always when had the ball got him. up there, you know, Drogba or, you know, Anelka, whoever it was that was up there was holding the ball and we would at least try to go up when the chance was there. And that's the thing that really bugged me. It's that the false nine worked once this season. It worked once against City where we beat them uh, surprisingly in December. Mm -hmm. that's the one time against the top side that it worked. Cause yes, Hazard had like three league. matches where he was on fire playing the yeah. false nine, but against the top sides, they've bullied us. They've bullied our front six easily when there's not a physical presence there. And that's the thing that bugs me is that it, on paper, it should work. You're right on paper. You know, we have all these players that, are, are def working more hazard has no defensive responsibilities and you know when we move up willie and hazard show will have this fluid attack but you don't put into in there that hazard has to win a ball against gomez and van dyke who are both gigantic monsters who are also very good athletes yeah that can just body him even maybe go toe-to-toe -to -toe with him in the first couple steps of a sprint and then even... you're only giving that forward who is coming in cold 20 minutes 
to not only make an impact but come back from a 2-0 deficit. And yeah. and and that's the thing that we just were toothless without a forward. And I can make the argument that if we started with a forward, we had a second forward on the bench. So if he gets tired from playing defense all day, would, would you look at that? Giroud can come in 30 minutes and we've been trying to battle them for 60 minutes and now we can put him in for the last 30. See, and – he should have came in for Iguain originally. Yeah, he should have. <laughs> Agreed. Giroud's an enabler, isn't he? Like, I heard it on a, on the Skaka podcast, and it was like the perfect way to just kind of encompass what he does is he is a total enabler on the pitch. Like, you throw Giroud on the pitch, and he'll just mix it up one way or another, right? Like, he'll provide you something. Yeah. And I think that's the problem, like, when we get to talking about Iguain is when Iguain's not scoring, which he hasn't been doing, what is he doing? <laughs> Like when Giroud doesn't – Giroud's a specialist in not scoring goals and doing everything else. He's like – he's yeah. like – he's almost – he's almost like the like the opposite – the complete opposite of Iguain. You want to hear something now, funny? Yeah. So my one of my good friends is a Liverpool fan and like a couple weeks ago, uh, he was asking why are you guys starting Iguain – I mean why are you guys starting uh, Giroud in this game when you have Iguain? And I'm like because <laughs> Giroud is better. And he's like, no, come on. What are you talking about? And so after the game today, I'm like, so do you do you see what I mean when I say that Giroud is better than Iguain? And he's like, no, once Iguain came in, you guys started playing well. And I was like, no, that wasn't because of Iguain. That's because Hazard moved to his natural position. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, uh, let, let's talk about that for a little bit because this is the return of the false nine. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to say one more thing yeah, about the please. false nine because we were talking about how Hazard, you know, no defensive responsibilities, but – do you really think that Hazard's not going to play defense the one game that could decide the top Matters. four? Yeah. Yeah, like we're asking him just to give an effort. I'm not asking him to completely, you know, cancel out Alexander-Arnold. I'm just saying stay mm -hmm. with the man and then break forward from there. And that's another thing. Like I get it. Hazard's not going to be the guy that puts in five tackles a game. But I'm not asking him to do that. I'm just asking him to be a body on the way of those crosses. Mm-hmm. And, See, and that's a thing like we we give up so much to to prevent a goal from happening that then we're not the ones scoring. We went down two nil and then the team's like, well, there's nothing to lose. Let's try to score. And, and what did we do? We created two clear cut chances that in any other day Hazard puts in the back yeah, of the net. Yeah. Why, why do we have to be bullied until we get the one chance to get a sucker punch in instead of be fighting the bully head to head? And, and that's that's such a big issue, and it has been an issue for a while now. Conte took the same approach. Sorry took the same approach. And then we wonder why these players have a whack mentality. It's because <laughs> from the top, they're saying, hey, we're not going to beat this team, so let's all defend <laughs> really, really hard, and maybe something will happen. See, no, nowhere that tactic says, let's go out and score. But but also, when, when you do play with a false line, and this is a thing that's kind of frustrating to me, is that like it's nice to see sorry try new things and just you know in general him trying new things it's just nice to see that he's somewhat open-minded now compared to beginning of the season which is just complacent and predictable and I mean you you could fill in you could fill in the blanks mm -hmm. if you are gonna play a false nine you and and you have a player with hazard's skill set you have to think of it in a similar way uh, to how Messi plays a false nine because Hazard's not as good as Messi. I'm not saying that, but in terms of skill and what they provide, yeah, they're very similar players. 
Of course, they're yeah. invasive. They have th- th- their creators first. Obviously, Messi's a freak goal scorer, but Hazard could score in bunches too. But the problem is when you do play with a false nine, and and like when Messi, those great Barcelona teams, when Messi was playing the false nine, he wasn't necessarily playing with wingers. He was playing with forwards that were playing out wide. And it's very similar to like you look at the you look at Pep's Barcelona team. Messi was playing the false nine. And he had David Villa, who was a striker, playing on one wing, and right. Pedro, who's an inverted winger, he's one and of the Thierry center Henry. forward, playing on the other side. Yeah, and he had Henri at one point playing mm-hmm. on the wing. He and, even had Eto playing on the wing at yeah, some point. Yeah, and the other point. thing you're saying is, yes, the false nine can work, but you're giving me an example of a team that was attacking in a false nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't see that ever when we play the false yeah. nine. Yeah. I mean, that's I, the, that's I, the I, point that I'm trying to make is, is we can probably succeed at the false nine if we're actually trying to win a game. We saw it happen against the small sides. I, I said that earlier, but yeah. we then completely give up everything moving forward when we, we just, face these bigger sides because we're just so afraid of conceding. And I get it. We don't have the most solid defense, but at the end of the day, the team with the more, most goals in the back of the net wins the game, and a zero as your tally doesn't give you three points. I think mm-hmm. I, I think the frustrating thing was, and like kind of building off of your point, Andres, for me at least, was that after Hazard missed those two chances in the second half, it hurt more than the usual chance that bounces off the post because Liverpool were there for the taking. Like, they had a mistake in them, and I think everybody sensed it. Like, I'm, by no stretch of the imagination, like, the, I think the media is blowing this completely out of proportion because I personally don't think Liverpool played that well. I just think they did enough to win. I think they're doing what title contending sides do, and that's getting results mm-hmm. when you're only at 80 or 85% of your best. This is not Liverpool at their best by any stretch. But going back to like the whole false nine argument also, is like it is nice seeing sorry try new things, but at the same time, he has to take a step back. And like I talked about Messi playing with like two wide forwards, making those inverted runs, and then he had the overlapping fullback. So you're basically still playing with wing players in the form of fullbacks. We just don't have the personnel to play that kind of system because if Hazard does play the false nine, you need two things. You need a winger that makes diagonal runs, inverted runs. You need fullbacks that overlap and that are able to get up and down a pitch, which we don't have. And you also need a pacey forward that could play out wide and make runs in beyond the false nine, which you didn't have. We had Cho on the right, and Cho's an out-and-out winger, and he's too young to kind of, like, coach into, like, multiple systems. Like, you don't want to overwhelm him. He just got introduced to the side. So he was basically doing the same thing that he did if we were playing with a natural striker. Toes on a touchline. I talked about it last week. And then on the other side, you had Willian, who doesn't make runs beyond the striker at all. Like, William likes to cut in off of his left. So, William would receive the ball. He'd cut it onto his onto his right foot off the left-hand side. And all of a sudden, he's like 10, 15 yards away from Hazard. And then we just lose all the balance in our attacking play. And I think that's the main problem here is, like, I feel like if we still – and call me crazy. And I'm not saying I wish we still had him. But, like, <laughs> if we still had a Murata-type player who does have experience playing on the wing, he did it at Real Madrid. And he did it at Juve also. We could have played him maybe on one side 
and have him just make runs in beyond Hazard because he's a pacey striker. And then maybe have Pedro playing on the other side as a foil to that and having Hazard just kind of pull the strings in between. But you can't have Hazard play a false nine and have two out-and-out wingers next to him. There's just absolutely no balance in the team because on one hand, you have Willian cutting in, bumping into Hazard. And on the other hand, you have Cho sticking toes on the touchline. And there's just nobody in front of him. And I feel like that's the problem. Every time Hazard received the ball, he would spin his defender and there would be no options in front of him. And it was just getting so frustrating because he didn't necessarily have a poor game, Hazard. I, th I thought he did everything he could have done. I just thought that the support wasn't there. So what we're saying is bin the false nine, right? What was that? Yeah. So we're saying bin the false nine. Like no. Yeah, I mean, we, yeah, we just been don't have the too. personnel. This, yeah. is not, this is not a new opinion that we're just forming after this match. I mean, I think all of us, when we first saw that Hazard was playing in the false nine role, uh, we, we I, I, at least I did, I set my expectations a lot lower um, than what they were <laughs> even before going into it. But, I mean, it, it it's just... Zach, I, I was really fascinated by your suggestion of playing Murata on the wing. I mean, like, I'm just, I was like envisioning it and, you know, having a second striker on, you know, actually playing striker or having, you know, someone like Willian on the left side where he's actually better on the left side and then Hazard as a false nine. I mean, it, it kind of makes me upset to think like, oh man, like, what if we, like, we'd even try that. What if we tried that and it ended up like being you know the secret the secret lineup that we needed for sorry ball but i mean i mean this is like the that, type of that, that thing where like if, if pedro was in form i think he would have played with hazard at the false nine because like when you think about it what pedro actually brings to the game and the and his off ball movements suit like the false nine perfectly like he played that system with messi for what god knows how long seven or eight years so like he's he, he knows how to play that we just can't rely on him because of his age and his inconsistency now but i think you know, Sari should have looked at that and said, okay, I have a striker who's in form in Giroud. I could play him. Hazard will play out on his left-hand side. And this is the thing. Andres said it too. Like, it's not like Hazard isn't going to defend. Like, let's not forget. Yes, Jose Mourinho played Hazard at the false line at some point. The one game that sticks out is at Old Trafford. He played Hazard at the false line when we had our 4-2-3-1. It was god-awful. But Mourinho was pragmatic and had success with his pragmatism with Hazard playing on the left-hand side of a midfield three mm -hmm. in that 4-2-3-1. So, like, he's done it before. And, yes, he complained and he went out about it and said, like, you know, Mourinho shit on him for it in public. And rightly so. I think Mourinho was right in that situation. But, like, it is possible. And I think what Andres is trying to say is, like, we, we do sacrifice so much in the attack. And you have to take a step back and look and say, okay – when when are you sacrificing too much? And I think you're sacrificing too much when you have the most talented player in the Premier League playing out of position to accommodate a defensive shape. And I think that's where the problem is. I think the best players need to play in their best positions, period. Yep. There's no other way around it. When you have a guy like Hazard, especially at Anfield, where he has enjoyed his time oh, playing yeah. on that pitch. like Liverpool fans multiple, hate him. Yeah. Exactly. Like, they were probably relieved to see him playing at the false nine. It was like a blessing to them. Mm -hmm. No wonder why they were so up for the match. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I think, like, we've... <laughs> 
that we we went off script, but I think we hit every single point that we yeah, wanted to talk key. about, uh, which was really awesome. Uh, I didn't even have to do anything. That just uh, naturally transitioned to that. But um, I don't know. So I think to close out this Liverpool game, I think we need to finish on a high note. Uh, we got a really good question from at LAVCFC or LAVCFC, right? Is it is it LAV? Yeah. Yep. Um, he asks, are there any positive takeaways from the Liverpool match? Andreas, I'll start off with you since you reached out to him. <laughs> yeah, I think so. For one, Ruben Loftus-Cheek was, again, very solid. I think he's beyond ready. He's been ready if his back hadn't slowed him down. But the fact that he's not faced by the level of competition he's facing, I think is huge for a young midfielder. He absolutely bodied Virgil van Dijk. Oh, I love that. I got off my seat. Oh, man, that was fantastic. And I'm just really excited about the fact that it seems that Sarri has officially made him his go-to left center mid. If if he's able, he's starting. And the impact that he has in the final third is entirely underrated. I think I saw somewhere that he's close. In, in his career at Chelsea, he's only played about 1,000-something minutes total, and which is nothing, by the way. And he's at something like 10 goals, 8 assists, something like that. Yeah. So if he was to be healthy for a full season, we're talking about a double-digit goal and assist midfielder, which we haven't seen since Lampard played. Like a and, potential club player of the season. No, oh, definitely. I, yeah. I think Loftus-Cheek is going to be in the next three to five years once Hazard decides to to step away. The the key guy in the in the side and and our version of a of a Pogba per se, where, where he's going to be key to everything. <laughs> Everything we need to that we need to accomplish has to go through him. Yeah. He's he is becoming my favorite player on this he, team. He's got, and he's got the frame for it. He's got you know the body for it, the athleticism for it, and I think he's right. got the skill for it. It's just a matter of him putting it all together and of course staying healthy. That back of his is uh you know a little worrisome. Mm-hmm. Uh, just keeps on you know coming back with different injuries. But I I really liked what I saw from him and. And that's one thing that I what I that I saw like I'm this is my last thing I'm gonna say, um, a, a bunch of times, when Hazard ends up on the wings when he's playing a false nine and he is in a situation where he gets the ball on the wing, um, he has no one to cross the ball to you know there's no there's no striker standing there, and for some reason I mean this is I, I know Andreas you you were, you said something about this uh, that like it was, maybe it was it was just a situation it was how Liverpool was was defending it but. Like there was just several times where this happened, and N'Golo Conte was the one who was pressed up into the box, and RLC is playing back. I mean, yeah. you want a big body like RLC in the box, and you want the great defender like Conte, you know, back, farther back uh, up the pitch. I yeah. mean, it, you could attribute that to like the system though. Like Loftus Cheek isn't as wedded to, or, or, or isn't as familiar with the system as Conte is, who's been like sure. probably the second name on the team sheet behind Jorginho all season. Uh-huh. But, I, I, but but something and, that you guys mentioned is that you have to let the players do what they do best. So yeah. I think I'm I I now see your point, Sam. That we need to let them off the the shackles a little bit. Mm-hmm. And and in this game, we had no players in the box. And the one thing that Loftus-Cheek has brought into this midfield that it was severely lacking was those runs in behind. Yeah. So, yeah. The physicality, too. Yeah. In a, in a team that where we just said we're playing a false nine, our three front three are all 
tiny people, yeah, let Loftus Cheek be the one that ventures forward where he's got like a six foot four frame that can actually get up and compete for a header should we make a cross. Mm-hmm. So again, I, I just thought that he was a huge positive to this game. Uh, the other thing I wanted to say is that once we played with a striker and showed some urgency, we were actually creating chances. And the fact that we can create them, just not finish them yet, is very positive. Just wish we could do that from the very beginning. I think uh, I, I think the the main positive for me, like I talked about the defending and how great it was. There was a lot of debate after the game about like Dave's performance. Dave is such an interesting he's, – he's become such an interesting uh, figure within the Chelsea fan base, right? Like it seems like there's the Dave loyalist like me where I could never say anything bad about him. Like I could critique him every now and then, but mm-hmm. like overall I think Dave's phenomenal. And then there's the people that just completely forgot how phenomenal Dave actually is and then see like the one or two crosses that go astray and not the five or six last-ditch tackles – yeah. Uh, or, or interceptions that he makes. So I just want to say, when Rudiger got injured, I thought Christensen came in, and he showed and he w- showed a lot of positivity. I think Christensen's well on his way back to becoming uh, a, a starting center back for Chelsea again. Um, that's one. Number two is I just I, I want to shout out Dave because a lot of people are giving him shit about the performance. I thought he was exceptional. I thought he did such a good job on Mane for most of the match. And that goal we conceded, the Mane header, after watching it over and over, yes, you could pin some of the blame on Dave. Like, yeah, the goal came from his side. But Dave was already on a marker, and Cho wasn't the one that tracked back to track Mane's run because Dave had to tuck in. And I think that's something that nobody's talking about, and I think that's part of the reason why Sari pulled off Cho was to just kind of weather the storm. But I do want to shout out Dave because I thought he had a great game. And Christensen looks really good. So I think those are two really positive things that we saw. Obviously, you don't want to see Christensen getting a chance by Rudiger getting hurt. But um, it's just good to see that Christensen got over that little mental hurdle from those Barcelona nightmares a year and a half ago. That that pretty much wraps it up, huh? Yeah, I think uh, at least for part one. Hey, very nice. Okay, so – um like swam said that's it for part one guys um make sure you also download part two we're going to be going over a bunch of different chelsea news we answer our twitter questions and we're also going to be previewing the second leg of the sloppy Prague match or the the sloppy Prague tie and uh previewing our match against burnley coming up on mondays so um Make sure you guys follow us on Twitter at Roman's Empire Pod. Make sure you, you guys could email us, give us some advice, tell us what you like, what you don't like, Roman's Empire Pod at gmail.com. We're on SoundCloud. We're on third-party apps. You can download us on Android, Apple, uh, T-Mobile Sidekicks, whatever device you're using, you can reach us on. So um, with that being said, make sure you download part two and keep the blue flag flying high.